So, Rob, do you have any uh, plans to watch the NFL playoffs this weekend? Um, I, I will probably keep up. I'll check out the highlights. I'll see what's going on. Usually, I'm a Super Bowl-only guy, football fan. Sometimes I'll do the conference finals. Um, probably won't be looking at too much beyond that, though. Are you hyped? Sure. I, I can't remember if I asked you or not. Uh, in the few years we've been doing this, and the few Super Bowls that we've been uh, doing this that have happened throughout the, the show, but are the commercials as opulent in Canada's broadcast of the game as they are here? Because it's a big commercial day for us. It, I think it depends on the broadcast. If you're watching the U.S. feed, you, it's a lot of the same commercials. I don't know because I don't usually watch it. Via, I don't have like cable TV. Like I don't have that. So. I usually see the commercials, but I don't. I don't know what's on the official broadcast and what's not. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, it's a big. It's a big commercial. Oh, of course. Day. Yeah, we in Canada we do know the whole thing about the Super Bowl commercials. We know about that. That's uh, it's common <laughs> knowledge. Yeah, um, it was actually incredible last year at the Super Bowl. All the crypto commercials. It was like ninety percent crypto commercials and like gambling. And it's just like that's a sign of a healthy society. All those FTX commercials now, which are just – they actually deleted them off their YouTube page. Like you can't find them anymore. The Larry David one and the the Tom Brady one. It's really like – I think it's going to go down in history. Like you're going to – it's going to it's going to age a little bit poorly, I would say. Those like the nonstop crypto commercials uh, in the Super Bowl, similar to like the dot-com era stuff. Yeah. It was a lot of crypto, some gambling, and then a lot of EVs. Yeah. Which I thought was like a promising sign that we're at the point where electric vehicle ads for like every car company were a big factor in Super Bowl ads. Um, that's good, I guess. Uh, I think already it show it seems like gambling is going to be like the dominant industry in the Super Bowl ads. There's oh a yeah, big promo I just saw that Gronk is going to kick a field goal live, and if he hits, like everyone gets a share of everyone who bets on the game on this app gets a share of 10 million and it's just like it's, look i i admit i i gamble uh i gamble on sports a lot so it's like i can't act like i'm above it but it's like it is a little weird we've talked about it before on the show it is a little weird that it's so pervasive in our culture and in advertising and how quickly it's taken over everything right like that's it went from nothing to yes. all of a sudden just being like the dominant message you're getting when you when you tune into these these programs and that's the thing like we talked a couple weeks ago how it's totally possible to engage in that kind of thing responsibly just as like a fun thing but like famously that's not always the easiest thing for every single person and it's it's like it's uh yeah it is a little weird to see how quickly it's just come to completely dominate and um you know you you know it's again i don't know that any of these things are signs of like a healthy economy or a healthy society the fact that these are the main like the things that are being uh, talked about and advertised on these these big cultural uh, touchstone moments like the super bowl i don't know it's a little 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 odd it is it is um oh yeah i don't know i i, I just wonder what it's going to be i wonder what the big like gro- there's always like a stomach churning ad yeah uh like last year, the one that really beyond just the FTX, like Larry David stuff, there was also one for some crypto firm or trading platform or something where they just put a QR code on the screen and it was like, scan this. Like, and I think it gave everyone like five bucks worth of some probably coin that's worth less than five <laughs> bucks now. Um, I, I can't remember what the, what the yeah. deal was, but it just like, that also really rubbed me the wrong way. Just like people have no idea what they're scanning yeah. and what it's going to take, where it's going to take their phone. It's just so weird. Yeah, it's probably fine. Don't think too much about it. We need the Super Bowl ad. I think that's what's going to take our Absolutely. show. To that would be level. wonderful. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. Who do we talk All to? All we about need. That? How hard? How expensive can that be? I think it's just five million for like twenty okay. seconds or thirty seconds. Just we just need a couple more subscribers yeah, yeah. over on Substack at theinsurgents.substack.com to get our Super Bowl ad. We're all we're like eighty six percent of the way there already, so it's really just a matter of putting us over the yeah, right. over the top. <laughs> you know, that would be nice. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> but people should subscribe. Super Bowl ad aside, yeah. uh, be, be, we had a good we had a good premium episode this week uh, with our special guests. Rob Rousseau and Jordan Yule. It was a great conversation with them. <laughs> We're flying solo again here too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool though. I like that. Talked about um, 
the you know the attack on the Brazilian or the if you want to call it an attack if you want to call it an insurrection whatever you want to call it that happened in Brazil uh, we discussed that we discussed Bolsonaro uh, we had a good conversation overall we also talked about Hakeem Jeffries' speech his kind of like alphabetical slaughter speech which we obviously uh, loved uh, and as you know, anyone listening yeah we wrote yeah actually. anyone listening to the show knows how much that we love that kind of shit so. <laughs> Yeah, it was just so up our alley. That was a fun conversation. <laughs> it was. That was a good one. <laughs> and here we are again. Do you want to, you know, like, because this is, this is the, the, you know, the regular, the free episode. Usually it's like around this time we kick to a guest. Since we're not, though, can, can I just play the music anyways, though? Go for it. Okay, yeah. great. Well, yeah, make sure everyone subscribes to uh, the podcast at theinsurgents.substack.com to get access to... Um, our previous bonus episodes, uh, like the one Jordan was describing, and a number of other wonderful guests we've had uh, throughout the months and years. Um, and that'll do it for now. So Jordan and I will be resuming this conversation right after this. You, uh, have you seen any good movies lately? Good. Any good movies? You got watching? Oh, yeah. Dude, I don't know if we talked about it on the last episode, but The Menu. Oh, yeah. I've heard a couple people mention that. Did we talk? I can't remember if we talked about it or not. Have you no, watched I it yet? I guess I should. I've seen a number of people uh, recommend it. Oh, I I don't understand the hate for it. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. It just, I, the movie, like, snob people, I don't get. It's, oh, this movie's terrible. No, it's not. <laughs> If this movie isn't up to your like extremely high standard, that's that's a you problem. Yeah. The movie's fun, and within it is a critique of of people and criticism of people who aren't in that line of work, acting like they're experts. Mm. And it's just like I really feel like there was a lot of people. I've, I've seen a lot of reactions to the movie from people that it kind of thumbs its nose at. Um, yeah. Also then turning around and be like, this movie sucked. And it's like, well, this movie is making fun of people like you. So maybe that's why. <laughs> like, I see. Yeah. I yeah. loved it. It okay, was should, fun. It's a very yeah, fun I check movie. That out. Um, you know, it's maybe it's even similar to James Cameron's Epic Masterpiece, Avatar, The Way of Water. No. And all these no. kind of snobs, <laughs> these film snobs coming on podcasts and streams talking about this film and saying that they don't want to watch it. And, you know, I think that's bullshit as well. I'm agreeing with what you were just saying. And that drives me just up the wall. For that, it's just these losers I, who just I have guess. nothing better to do than complain all day <laughs> about James Cameron's films. Okay. Oh, it's, a don't, t- it's the time we thing don't for need me to go down this road again. No, you know what I am excited for though. What? Um, tomorrow night we're recording this on Saturday. Tomorrow night on HBO, The Last of Us yeah, starts. Yeah. I can't wait I'm, for that. I'm very hyped for that as well. I was a huge fan of the the games. I've talked we've talked about them a couple of times. Um Definitely. Yeah, and uh it it really seems like they've nailed the the sort of tone and the of the of the games and the the, the casting has been tremendous. Pedro Pascal looks great as uh as Joel. Um I actually really do love Troy Baker's performance as Joel like in the actual games and it was one thing I was I wasn't sure that I was ever going to be able to like see any other actor uh, playing Joel, but it really, they really absolutely crushed that casting and it really looks, uh, really looks great. I love the games and I'm really looking forward to seeing that one. Yeah. I'm so excited. And I hear like the team at Naughty Dog has been pretty heavily involved in the TV adaptation. So that's one area where games to TV shows or games to movies always has a disconnect. It's just always like, here's a team of TV writers and producers who kind of maybe sort of are, t- are in communication with the game developers in the, st- in the studio, and the finished product is always lackluster. Yeah. One of the most embarrassing things, I couldn't even bring myself to finish the first episode, was the Halo show. Oh, I never tried Did to watch, you watch that, that one. at all? No. Oh, fucking awful. It's like, look, I don't want, I don't want a team of TV writers to invent a new story. The story works, and that's what we've been playing for 20-plus years. 
It's like literally just give us fan service. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it's just they do. They want to take the property. They want to take the IP and just do whatever something else with it. But it inevitably ends up being yeah. disappointing for the people that are most hardcore about the the IP that they're trying to you know turn into something else. But it, it didn't even seem to resonate with people who didn't care about the game. Yeah. And it's like that's a tough. It's a tough sell because look, Halo was never really known for like a beautiful storyline like Last of Us is. Last of Us will pro- would probably do well outside of the the game fans. Yeah. Because it does have an interesting story. Halo was just like a shooter and the threat is like, you know, existential invasive species, among other things. But then also within that, it's like part of it is like Master Chief's voice is iconic and you have someone new, you have him take off his mask and also you like keep showing his ass. Like it was, it's what, weird. Was there a lot of bunch of Master Chief butt shots in that? I didn't know that. Master Chief saw caked up, dude. Oh, wow. I did not. I was not. Maybe I do need to check out this show. It actually I sounds, like that part. I'm going to. Yeah. yeah. Pause it. <laughs> just because I was really I really didn't like it. And I was just like wanted to really make sure that I understood what what yeah. I didn't like about it. <laughs> yeah. I, I do think in the in the press for Last of Us, they have leaned a little bit too hard and to be like, this is not one of those normal games. This is like art. And it's like and talking about how it's like the greatest story ever in the history of video games. And I love it. But I also think they've come across as like maybe a little bit pretentious in talking about it um, in a way that I, I think yeah. has been maybe a little off-putting. But And Craig Mazin, the, the guy that, that he did Chernobyl and he's done a number of other uh, Hollywood things, I find him kind of obnoxious as well. But it just it does seem like from what I've seen of it that they really did a, a really faithful adaptation of it that I think will resonate with a wide audience. Like you said, it's not just like – it's not just that it, – like it has an interesting story, but it's a story that we've seen probably a number of times. Um, but it does create characters that you become like uh, emotionally kind of attached to. And when you see the things that they go through, it's very affecting, like even in in a way in in a game that I think I've not really ever experienced where you actually feel the violence also is so visceral and you have this kind of emotional bond with the characters that it it really raises the stakes of any given situation, Uh, really make you feel things in a way that other video games don't really get to that level. Oh, for sure. Like when they get... If the show gets, you know, continued beyond the first season, when they get into the second game, oh yeah, that's where the storyline is like actually really impressive. And I, I would say the second one story is more closer to art than the first one. The first one's just like here's a zombie game with a cool, like a, a couple cool elements. Yeah. The second one is like, oh shit, this is like a really good introspection or a really good analysis and evaluation of like grief and cyclical violence. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. Yeah, yeah, and like we've. We've, and especially in terms of the first one, like we've seen that story of like the grizzled older guy kind of connecting with the, a sort of surrogate child and kind of overcoming the differences and forming this emotional bond in this crazy apocalyptic situation. There's a number of stories like that, you know, Children of Men. I was like that Logan has that element. Like there's, it's a pretty common trope, but it really just does it so well. And the, the characterization is so good that it really, it does, you yep. forget that you've seen it before uh, a number of other times. I'll tell you another movie that I saw. This week on the level we're talking about artistic masterpieces. Um, I did revisit uh, Steven Seagal's 1990 uh, action thriller Marked for Death this week as well. <laughs> yeah. Are you a Seagal guy? How was that? All? No, no, I'm not. Not at all. <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. You know, I'm a, I am a, I've been, a, I was a big Seagal fan like in the 90s, like at his, at his heyday. I wanted to watch Hard to Kill, which is like the classic. Seagal movie, um, which I genuinely and ironically enjoy. I didn't, that wasn't on streaming. This was the only one that was on streaming where he plays this like retired DEA agent who then like goes back home after this, after this botched, uh, operation and sees that these like Jamaican voodoo drug gangs have moved into the small town neighborhood and he's got a, you know, he gets involved with that and then he gets the titular marked for death after in, in clashing with this gang. And then you just got to go at the end of the movie, kill the hell out of a whole bunch of people, um, which is – it was satisfying. Was it? Yeah, it was satisfying. Not my favorite Seagal. The voodoo drug gang thing was a little bit uh, off-putting. There was a weird moment in American pop culture in the 90s where voodoo Jamaican drug lords were like the boogeyman for like a really brief time. When Predator 2 famously also had a had a the voodoo Jamaican drug gang uh, – plot as well oh yeah they were like it's, like drug lords of la right yeah exactly it hasn't uh hasn't aged that part hasn't aged super well um it's also funny because <laughs> like when you get into like learning about 
you know, American foreign policy and socialism and anti-imperialism, that kind of stuff. And then you see these movies take place and you see the sinister propaganda at play. Like you see Seagal at the beginning of the movies, like in Colombia working with the DEA. And it's like, you know, while he's there in Colombia, there's probably the CIA is the one pumping in the funds and the drugs in the first place to arm all these cartels that he's fighting, you know? And then he's going into his community where these, these like uh, Jamaican and Caribbean communities are forming because of, you know, centuries of colonialism there and he's just got it and he's just like i have to go kill everybody now i'm going to be gouging eyes and breaking <laughs> arms and really going going crazy on these people you know but it's still it's it's also the enjoyable only, to watch i, don't I know. can't say i'm gonna put it on my list but i'm happy for you uh, i would definitely recommend the only thing to that kill. i've seen from seagull no that's a classic <laughs> it's not a good sell <laughs> the seagull clips that i really like are where he's like in Eastern Europe or Russia yeah. doing like stunt demonstrations and everyone's just kind of like going along with it. Like That's a- how I feel watching. And this isn't a movie thing, but like Ovechkin, like this season, yeah, just like barely even I trying. F- it, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of parallels between Ovechkin and like Seagal. Now it's like kind of sad to watch him. Like the guy is so old. He seems exhausted. Like he just kind of like, lurks near the line and they just keep feeding him the puck and it just like doesn't get back on defense it's just like he seems dead and just like yeah i was watching him the other night and it was just kind of like this is sad just like the guy needs to retire yeah well it was cool um, how he passed the he passed the gordy howe in the all-time uh, scorers list for number two and you're getting that amazing discourse around ovechkin as well where it's like you he's doing this all this historic stuff and breaking these records but unfortunately he's not denounced he's not clearly denouncing putin and we can't possibly say anything good about this guy or praise him because he's an evil russian and stuff like that and i've talked about it before but the way that like we hold foreign athletes to this level that we would never ask american athletes to or treat them the same way whether it's russian athletes or whether it's chinese athletes we thought saw that a lot in the olympics like no one was ever, you know, when the Iraq war was at its height or, you know, the news of Abu Ghraib is breaking or Fallujah or any of the horrific things that America did during uh, the war on terror. No one was saying like in the, in the hushed tones, whenever like LeBron James or Kobe Bryant or some like big sports star does anything. But unfortunately, we can't possibly say anything good about LeBron or Dwayne Wade or <laughs> whoever, Tom Brady. We can't talk about Tom, Tom Brady. Why isn't Tom Brady denouncing the war on terror? Why isn't he denouncing the president of the country that he lives in it's like it's amazing that we hold foreign athletes to this like standard that we would never ever do with with american athletes and in fact when american athletes do say but talk about politics we're like shut up shut up yeah get back, get back <laughs> yeah. on the court get back on the field stop talking uh, about politics it's just in right it's insane that they have on the one hand you're not allowed to talk about police brutality you're not allowed to talk about racism you're not allowed to talk about injustice you have to have these kind of like the only advocacy you can do is like a breast cancer awareness month and like support the troops but then we expect people from russia who uh also these same people insist that this guy is this like murderous dictator who's hell-bent on taking over the world that these single people need to use their huge platforms to single this guy out (laughs) and we've seen like panarin panarin on the rangers did last year Last year, the year before, he did, and then he like had to take a leave of absence from the uh, NHL. He was getting a bunch of threats. His family were, get, were were getting a bunch of threats in Russia. It's like nobody needs to be in that situation because you want more entertainment from your fucking couch. <laughs> yeah. One player who did do that uh, and has now since turned like massive heel is Ennis Cantor, turned Ennis Freedom, who was critical yes. of Erdogan. And now, did you see this week? He's got like a bounty on his head. Yeah, I saw it in Turkey. Yeah, they. They uh, put a bounty on his head. I did see that. Yeah. Like separately from his comments on Erdogan and, and the Turkish government separately, he, he has turned into a like right wing, like just culture war guy. Oh, yeah. And like he's also blaming that on his career. Tagging. Yeah. Because yeah. his whole thing, his whole trajectory this season seems like he wanted to pull a reverse Kaepernick. It's like he knew that he didn't couldn't really like ha- like play on an NBA team anymore. So it's like oh, I'm going to become Mr. Like outspoken a human rights defender and go after every single one of America's uh, enemies and talk about the human rights issues and then claim that when I don't make an NBA roster because I I can't fucking play defense, 
um, that I'm, I'm some victim of some conspiracy because the NBA wants to cater to China or to Turkey or whatever else. Yeah, you it's know? like the Uyghurs thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like it was like the perfect excuse for a terrible stat line. Yeah, well, that's and it was funny too because eventually, you know, he's he he claimed to be sort of doing this on his own. Um, and just be this, this trajectory just coming from his, from his own self. And he's like, no, I'm back. I'm uh, at the FBI office hanging out with the FBI. And it's like, we know Ennis. Yeah, we know you are. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for really spelling that out for us though. So funny. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, speaking of culture war issues, there was a big fight this week, Rob. I, mean, I don't know if it made its way to Canada. I don't know if you guys are next, but right now we're under attack. Our rights and our freedoms yeah. here in the United States are under attack. Our precious Gas yep. stoves, gas stoves are are being are going to be seized. They're going to yeah. come and round up all the stoves. Biden's going to send the ATF. Something is definitely going to happen. Yeah, just just take everyone's <laughs> stove. Um, no, I know that's really it's really scary stuff uh, when you see these kind of authoritarian trends beginning. And I know you told me that you just turned on the gas on your gas stove and you're just leaving it on in the apartment just to. I didn't even yeah. Just to I didn't the start the flame. I'm just letting the gas yeah, run yeah. in protest. That's your right. That's your right as an American. And no is. one can take that away from you, you know? So good for you. I'm you happy know, to hear that. I wonder what would happen because what ha- what triggered this was a study that found that gas stoves uh, lead to worse air quality in the home and can increase the risk of childhood asthma. That's what triggered this. It wasn't like Biden saying, we're going to take gas stoves away from you. No, it never is. It's always just like, this no, might right. be kind of dangerous. Yes. It was just an independent study. And then- you know, they the right went with, well, come and take it. <laughs> like the same type of shit they do for everything. Sure. And they just, it was just like, you know, they've got this cycle. It's like, hey, we're going to make memes. We're going to talk about how we use our gas stoves every day and we love it. And it's essential and no one will ever take it away from you. And it's actually the most American thing you can do is cook on a gas stove and all <laughs> this. And I, I wonder what would happen if we didn't find out about the harms and effects of lead in paint. Oh, yeah. I wonder what would happen if we discovered that today. Oh, absolutely. Would, the reaction be, from the yeah. right. If we if we discovered today lead paint was they bad. They would all be eating paint chips on the on Instagram Live or whatever. <laughs> you know? Anything. Like, literally any health med- – asbestos – you know, where it's already happening with smoking, they're already trying to they're trying to go revisit the smoking yeah, indoors yeah. debate as well. Anything that remotely yes. is like it has about public health or anything like that. Um, seatbelts, even though there were anti seatbelt activists when it was going on, today it would be even worse if you, if seatbelts were invented today. You would see all these guys. I'm driving it f- uh, 100 miles an hour on the freeway with no seatbelt all the time, just to. There's nothing you could do but cry. <laughs> There's nothing you could do but cry about it, liberal. <laughs> It's like fly yes, through the windshield. Yeah, exactly. Like it's really amazing. Like you could really I don't think there's really a limit to anything of what you can convince these people to do. Uh just by being like, hey, maybe we should cut down on this activity because it's it's harmful to the environment or yourself. Second question also is like all these people that were complaining about this, what are they cooking on their fucking precious gas stoves? Like what's what is so important? Like I understand if you're like a chef or you really need that like in the high heat from the gas stove or the whatever nuance in your cooking that you can use the gas stove with who are these what are these people actually making in their gas stoves that's so important that they feel so uh strongly about clinging to this like really or do you even cook anything like is it just is it just a matter of like being told no and having a childish outburst about it like that's that's what i'm really wondering with some right. of these guys like are they even, are they big cooks are they cooking up Big meals and their gas stoves. I don't even think they are. It's really just a matter of uh, can't not being able to handle the basic idea that this activity might be harmful. Right. That that right wing account that seems to have curried favor with Elon Musk and was also like a favorite of Trump's cat turd too. Yeah, which is such a weird name, but it is a big right wing t- Twitter account. They you know they obviously they jump on every culture war thing. Sure. Yeah. And they were like. They tweeted something like, oh, I've been running my gas stove all day and there's nothing there's nothing you can do but cry about it, liberals. Someone looked up. Apparently, this guy started an LLC, uh, Cat Turd LLC. Someone looked up the address and it's his home and then looked up that home on Zillow. The guy does not have a gas stove. <laughs> he has an electric stove. <laughs> well, it's like, I mean, there's no better example 
of this like relentless victimization complex that conservatives have, not just about this, but that account. The world's wealthiest man spent $44 billion, like destroyed his own personal financial situation in order to buy this website to impress people like Cat Turd too. Um, he's there, literally Elon Musk. He's there at four in the morning acting as Cat Turd 2's like personal shadow banning investigator and customer service representative like at all times. And it's still not enough. It's amazing. This guy's like, I'm still being shadow banned. I'm still being silenced and censored. This fucking obnoxious right wing account with like over a million followers with the Elon Musk, the guy who owns Twitter, literally acting as his personal, you know, correspondent day in, day out. And there's still, it's still not enough for them. It's amazing how the people like this, like, are just not incapable of doing anything other than just like finding obscure random things to feel persecuted about and just complaining about it all day. And then they wonder why no one wants to engage with their precious tweets. All they do is complain like an asshole all day. And your then your name is Cat Turd. Like maybe that's maybe you need to look <laughs> inward in that situation. I don't know. <laughs> one of the other right wing freakouts that was funny this week. In addition to the smoking thing, actually, on the smoking thing, did you see the clip of Tucker Carlson? The most American of all players. About like the guy, <laughs> yeah, like the guy. There's a guy in the house who is smoking cigars indoors now, and it's like, oh, nothing you can do about it. And he, Tucker opens this segment with like, why do people think tobacco is so bad? What do you mean? Why do people think tobacco is so bad? It's like one of the biggest killers. What are you talking? And this like, has the thing been is, to, like, there's been significant research on this. Yeah, yeah, it's like it shows it, like. This type of stuff is so disingenuous so often. Like Tucker used to smoke and then he switched to Nicorette and like he made a big deal when he finally even kicked Nicorette a couple years ago because it was bad and he didn't want to be addicted to nicotine. It's like cigars are a different beast than cigarettes, but like acting like you don't understand why tobacco is bad or suggesting that it's not bad at all is fucking wild. Like every once in a while I like a cigar. If I'm, it's like a like when we were in San Diego for TwitchCon, a few of us, uh, there was a cigar bar kind of by the convention center. We went there one night and we just had a cigar. It was fun. It was like a weird, fun thing to do. And I acknowledge when doing that, oh, this is terrible. <laughs> but if I'm doing that multiple times a day, every day, like that is way, way worse. It's infinitely worse. And for him to suggest, oh, what's why is this bad? Is this actually bad? It just really shows how disingenuous his whole game is. Yeah. And you know what? It speaks to, we talked about the conservative victimization complex, but I think it, it gets at something else, which is their completely perverse and skewed version of like what personal freedom is. Whereas like personal freedom for me is I should be able to chain cigars inside. I should be able to own 50 different guns and, you know, assault weapons and stuff. I should be able to spew toxic chemicals into the atmosphere because that's my personal freedom and that nothing is, supersedes this idea that I need to be able to do whatever I want at any time. But the way that these activities harm other people doesn't factor into this. Uh, equation whatsoever. And not only harm other people, but like take away their freedom, their personal freedom. I would like to have the freedom when I'm in yeah. an office to not inhale tobacco smoke or to not have the planet poisoned and the climate changed by spewing toxic chemicals into the ground or like the constant gun violence uh, in on the streets, in schools, accidentally suicides, like people that are affect their personal freedom is severely impacted by this weird notion of we must be able to own these weapons at all, at all. And that's the most important political issue that we have. You know, it's like, it's, it's very strange, this obsession that these conservative types have with personal freedom. And they can simultaneously believe in that, like more fervently than anything, while, you know, not believing that others also have personal freedom. Other people have freedom to not want to walk down the street and not knowing who's carrying a, a deadly weapon who is not, you know, um, or who don't want to inhale secondhand smoke and get lung cancer or throat cancer from it. Like this is just doesn't factor into their, their precious values about, about freedom. It's an extremely selfish, self-centered ideology. Yeah. And that same sort of rationale never applies to other people's right or very seldom applies to other people's right to get married. There's a few people yeah. out there who truly are like this, like the purest distillation of libertarianism where it's like, I really don't care. You should be able to do what you want, but I want to do what I want. 
like those people i don't really have a problem with those types of people i think their views on economic aid and the government's role in like supporting people is wrong inherently wrong but like if they just if they're like hey i want to smoke cigars if i want i want to do whatever i want to do on my own land like but you can also do what you want i kind of don't have a problem with that especially when they're also cool with you know pro-choice laws because you always see people break uh, in the libertarian camps where it's like, oh, yeah, I just don't think the government should be involved in any to everyone's lives at all whatsoever. And then it's like, oh, I, by the way, I'm anti-choice. Yeah. It's like that sucks. That fucking sucks. But if they really just, if they really don't care and like what you're saying, they also consider the effects of what they have on other people. Like, I don't care. Do what you want. I don't, I don't need to be in your life. You don't need to be in mine. Well, that's what I mean. It's like they like the people like Tucker Carlson and people that have this kind of perverse idea of what personal freedom represents when it comes to guns, when it comes to smoking, when it comes to like automobile related stuff or pollution, that's when they don't, they only care about their personal experience and not how that affects other people. But when it comes to gay people being married, it's like, wait, how does this, if this affects me though, you can't be married. How does this affect me? Then all of a sudden they care about these cons- yeah. these kind of consequences. When it comes to trans people existing, uh, how, wait, this affects me though somehow. Me, the protagonist of reality, you, this trans person just existing <laughs> or this, you know, teen or young person getting any kind of gender affirming care from a doctor, from a teacher, whatever that, that affects me somehow. I'm, I'm being victimized by this. Um, and then completely not acknowledging the way their own behavior victimizes others. It's just, it's infuriating how completely inconsistent it is. And it feels like it's almost trite to point out these kind of inconsistencies. You know, it's almost boring at this point to even talk about it, but it's, it's just infuriating, uh, the way that they, uh, are, really do not apply any of these beliefs, uh, even. Right. Right. Yeah. It's like you're saying, it feels kind of trite to even point it out, but it's just, just every time we have one of these cycles, it's always the same thing. It's always, like they're simultaneously they're complaining about trans people or drag queen story hours so you don't like it don't go yeah or don't Don't get an abortion like you don't who fucking cares yes (laughs) don't get gay married yeah like what it's It's really easy to not do Uh, yeah live your life let other people live theirs uh the other culture war thing that i thought was just really ridiculous but it also speaks to a broader problem with the corporate world was the m&m's bag yeah that i agree with i was very upset about this fucking you, <laughs> I was like, you know, I thought it was bullshit for different reasons. <laughs> like, so M and M's did this this bag where it's like, oh, here's all the girl M and M's, and the right wing was like, oh, they're 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 doing wokeism. M and M's have gone woke again. This is what they took from you, and yeah, like the same <laughs> old like song and dance. And then that guy who I think is like, I I'm at this point I think he's doing a bit that Nick Adams in USA Australian yeah, guy, guy turned like Trump loyalist. He cannot be real. He doesn't seem real. <laughs> And every new thing, he's like, same thing with Cat Turner, like front and center of the culture war for clout. And he filmed a video. He like bought a bag of M&Ms, went to the M&M store in Times Square and or in New York and uh, was like, oh, we're boycotting M&Ms. I take the alpha male challenge. Go get a bag of M&Ms and step on them. It's like, so you're encouraging people to go buy m M&M. It's like, it has to be a bit. It's so bizarre. And he like has one. He's, he like daintily steps on at the end of the video. And Tuck, you know, same thing. Tucker loves the culture war stuff, was was whining about He's it. He's done but multiple segments I, on m M&M, Tucker Carlson. Like, this is like a Because they're not, they're not fuckable yeah. anymore. I want to fuck that green yeah, M&M. Yeah, the hot M&Ms. It's ridiculous. <laughs> but he, like, yeah, M&Ms have gone woke again. He's doing this segment. My issue with it is that like, this is just like hollow yeah. corporate feminism that doesn't do anything to better anyone's lives, doesn't better any woman's life. It's just totally bullshit. They're, they want to talk about women and diversity and equity in the workplace. Like their C-suite, I looked up Mars Incorporated, their parent company. Their C-suite is like 70 or 80% men. Hey man, start there. Yeah. Shake things up internally. What are you? What are you doing? What's what's keeping what's what's keeping you from doing it? Yeah. Well, I mean, it, yeah. It just it speaks to how in our culture it's so divorced from like the idea of actually changing thing on any fundamental level is so like alien to people that that's all they have to talk about. It's like the, the you're what side of the culture war you're on, which trite meaningless gesture from some mega corporation do you support the gesture or are you against the gesture are you going to boycott because of um whatever woke decision this massive corporation that has has made you know you see this a lot with disney and disney films like trying to incorporate more 
uh, people of color or sexual minorities or non-binary people, and then people convincing themselves that somehow dis- this massive corporation is somehow this like left-wing entity, and that's their view, that's their sort of analysis of of what is happening politically, and then by default, it's like then people that are progressive end up just being like, well, now I have to support this big corporation, and that's the that's the thing to do, and you know nothing about any of these underlying systems is is changing it's all these complete meaningless hollow gestures and then it's just you know people are are arguing over it and going engaging in this kind of blood sport over it um and these these extremely evil institutions and corporations are just allowed to continue their terrible behavior um while they're laughing all the way to the to the yeah. bank yeah mars mars was in was part of that class action suit about the use of child and slave labor yeah. And their cocoa production, like they've led to a ton of deforestation. Yeah. Maybe they should take a look at that rather than like in yeah. <laughs> the M&M marketing. Right. Yeah. All this stuff is just, um, it just makes me so kind of jaded on, on a lot of that stuff. But also it really just is another reminder that nothing is going to be changed or achieved through consumption. No. Like we're not going to get any sort of equality or betterment uh, of of this country or system or whatever through consumption yeah you're not going to change the world by watching a movie multiple times unless it's avatar 2 the way of yep. water uh <laughs> but like you're you going to see and paying to see a disney movie is not going to change anything you buying an m&m's bag because it has the girl m&m's on it is not going to change anything what changes things is when you hold those institutions to account to pay their fair share and that money is invested in social programs and in communities that help those people Flourish, help marginalized groups, help women, help trans people flourish and thrive in this society. If that's the way, if that's what you care about, you going to see a movie or you buying a product because it has a nice aesthetic isn't going to change anything because those companies aren't doing anything materially to improve those people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an issue. It's, it's, uh, it's part of living in this like modern futuristic capitalist kind of world is that everything becomes commodified, even our own dissent, even our own, even these kind of political issues where it's like, it's so divorced from actual engage from political action that the only way that you can support like social justice is by buying the, the woke products versus the, versus the reactionary, the anti-woke products. Um, it's as long as like, you know, that's it, all that really matters. As long as we're still buying, going out and buying stuff, the line's still going out. Right. The so the the stove thing to get back to that, this got picked up in Congress and it was like a really good illustration of what this next Congress is going to look like, especially in the House. I mean, this was their first opportunity to show what their priorities were. They've whined for two years that, you know, inflation wasn't being addressed, energy wasn't being addressed, all these things that they purportedly cared about that they wanted to tackle. All of these things were went by the wayside. So. They finally take power, they get their speaker race sorted out, and now they're finally in charge of the House. And the first thing that they do is talk about gas stoves. And and someone introduces this act, the Stove Act. Uh, I can't remember what the acronym stood for, but it was basically like no government seizure of gas stoves, which, like we mentioned, is not fucking happening. It has never been on the table. It will not be on the table. It's totally bullshit. But it's just, they just want to push culture war fights, which... It's funny, like, I kind of am at the point where it's like, let them do it. Just fucking do it. Yeah. Because it clearly isn't working in elections for you. So go for it. Yeah. Maybe the big maybe the big gas stove debate of 2023 is going to propel them to victory in the next round of elections. And it, I, I wanted to talk about something else that uh, has been going on since uh, – since Republicans have now taken back over the House, and you know, it's it's been an ongoing kind of very frustrating narrative that you see from these kind of like post left sort of communities that that have come up, where they've become so uh, inherently sort of reactionary toward the Democratic Party and and liberals, which a lot of which I understand. Like I understand where a lot of that criticism comes from, um, and I agree with a lot of it as well. But they've twisted themselves into this pretzel, especially when it comes to like foreign policy stuff, to kind of try and pretend that Republicans are the real anti-war party, or Republicans are the the ones, the movement that is going to you know investigate or rein in the intelligence community, the CIA, or the FBI, or any of that stuff. Um, we've seen talk about them starting some kind of like church committee, um, which I just think is preposterous. This idea that they're ever going to actually 
meaningfully try to claw back power from these entrenched uh, sort of intelligence establishment. And they're not just going to be investigating bullshit like conservatives being silenced on social media or just purging these institutions of whatever moderately liberal types are in there and just uh, filling them even more with like reactionary um, allies. You know, this idea that even if Republicans or conservatives or libertarians might sometimes make arguments that you might happen to agree with, um, whether it comes to uh, you know, funding Ukraine or shipping arms to Ukraine or criticizing these intelligence uh, apparatuses, it doesn't mean that any of that criticism is coming from like a legitimate or moral place or that given the power, they're going to be any better. Um, you see this as well this week where they're, or they're now starting a committee, conservatives uh, in the House, to investigate China. And you see there's this, this desire to kind of pivot away from Russia and just go towards China instead. And they, they want to split Russia off from China, whereas the sort of liberal establishment wants to just kind of keep going after both. Um, so I just think this idea is preposterous that conservatives in the US government are really going to do anything meaningful to um, have a, a sort of better or more coherent foreign policy or a better positioning when it comes to these intelligence uh, agencies. And they're not just going to completely cynically you know, wield this power for their own ends. You know, It's completely preposterous, but I've seen a lot of people that are just so reactionary against the Democratic Party that they've kind of believed this, convinced themselves of this, that they're going to be some kind of allies in this sort of anti, anti-imperialist uh, goals. Yeah, I, I, I think there's space for that conversation, but it has been created by the Democrats. And that's something progressives and progressive anti-war activists have been warning about, especially after the invasion of Ukraine. The U.S. and its continued and increased funding to Ukraine, as we've talked about and as some progressives have constantly warned about, only increases the risk of making that war worse. And that should be the dominant progressive position. Like, we should push for diplomacy. And when... 30 or so progressive lawmakers introduced that letter, there was a bipartisan meltdown and freak out over it, and they were forced to walk it back, and they said, oh, it was released by mistake. But that should not be the case. What that does is it creates an opportunity for like these freaks on the right who purport to be anti-war, but in a much different way. They're anti-intervention, they're, they're you know, America first foreign policy that we've seen Tucker get heralded for for years comes from a place of disdain and ultimately neglect for people around the world. It's not that they don't think the military, we should be spending this much on the military uh, elsewhere. It's not that we don't, it's not that they don't think an intervention works. It's that they don't think those people are worth any time or effort. And it's inherently a jingoistic position. That's the people who are gaining ground in the anti-war uh, you know, space in conversation because Democrats and progressives who are anti-war have been like browbeaten into submission. We shouldn't, we shouldn't be in a situation where progressives suggesting that diplomacy should be on the table are required and forced to take that letter back. Medea Benjamin, who has led Code Pink for years and is a spectacular anti-war activist, interrupted a Brookings event this week where they had like a panel on the importance of funding Ukraine and increased funding to Ukraine. And she mentioned all these points and talked about how we shouldn't be ceding ground to people like Marjorie Taylor Greene on these issues. And she asked the audience, she's like, does anyone worry about the future of, uh, you know, this war and a a prolonged protracted conflict that only leads to more death? And don't we want diplomacy? And she kind of asked the audience and, None of them engaged with her. She's like, seriously, none of you? And I, I just, I really worry about people there who are, you know, being displaced, being killed, being in a situation that they didn't have anything to do with uh, its start or, or the invasion itself, being forced to protect themselves, being forced to fight back against a militarized force. And also the people who are being drafted into this invasion, into the Russian uh, military against their will. They don't want it. They don't want this. We saw protests in Russia at the onset, and those people were beat and arrested for protesting the invasion. There's so many people on both sides who don't fucking want this. That's the people we should be lifting up. Those two groups are the people we should be lifting up, not people who are clamoring for more war or who think that Ukraine will summarily defeat Russia. There's not going to be a clear winner or loser here. It's just going to be a ton of fighting, a ton of death, a ton of injury, 
and thousands, hundreds of thousands or millions of people displaced when it's all said and done. That's the solution. That's, that's, that's going to be the end game, no matter what. And we're just making it worse. Yeah. And like I've said a number of times, like, uh, when it comes to this, like there needs to be space on the left to talk openly about other alternatives to this, to criticize the way that this conflict was provoked. You know, as we said, it talked about a number of times. Um, you can talk about the causes for the Russian-Ukraine war. It doesn't mean that you agree with the invasion or that you think it's a good thing. But we need to be open and honest about the role that America and Canada and the Western countries have played in creating the situation that led to the invasion in the first place. That's been completely taken off the table. Um, and like I've been repeatedly warning, I think when you know when there's no space to ever talk about any of these things on the left, then it does leave an opening for Marjorie Taylor Greene. It does leave an opening for people like Tucker Carlson, and because there's there's people that are going to be receptive to that message. You know, you know why why are why are, what's with this nonstop arms transfer to this country in the Eastern Europe when I can't pay my grocery bill when I can't pay rent? You know, when I'm struggling, I see the government just had this endless money printing machine to fight this war, but not giving me anything. And then people like Marjorie Taylor Greene or Tucker Carlson are able to take that and very cynically kind of use it towards their own ends, um, and completely abandoning that has been a, has been a real disaster, I think, on the on the left. But yeah, like I said, it's like I don't think any of these people are credible when it comes to these things. Like especially when you talk about the run up to the war in Ukraine, that was not like entirely led by the Democrats. That was John McCain and Lindsey Graham um, were heavily involved with that, heavily involved in. Um, Promoting re- regime change in Ukraine and installing a pro-NATO, pro-Western government, which is was the origins of this entire conflict. There's footage of Mc- John McCain and Lindsey Graham talking to these like Azov militants in 2017, being like, "We will get you whatever you need. Take the fight to the Russians." You know, this is not conservatives are not credible when it comes to this issue, even though they might now be now that liberals and the Joe Biden administration are the ones holding the bag. They might be making these kinds of arguments because it hurts them and gives them a kind of credibility, but they don't actually have any credibility. Tucker Carlson as well, another person that might say a few things when it comes to foreign policy um, every now and then, or if, when it comes to the you know the role of the FBI or the CIA or the things that they do around the world, might say things that make you go, huh, that he's kind of has a point about that. But also I think is someone that wants to just uh, pivot towards China and pivot towards ramping up tensions with China. This is this is what a big this is a big problem. You know, I totally recognize the way that mainstream liberals and and people on the left that should have known better have really failed when it comes to this thing. But I think too many people have seen that and said like, well, my natural allies are conservatives. Then when it's like, I feel like they're just getting played and they're just supporting uh, people that have their own terrible tendencies that they're trying to instill. And, you know, just because you don't agree with the Biden administration or the Trudeau administration for uh, participating in this conflict doesn't mean that these people are any more credible or deserve to be uh, in control of these kinds of security institutions or they're going to do any better job. They're not. Yeah. Uh- so I think we we can just expect a lot more of this over the next <laughs> two years. Yeah. Um, they they had their opportunity to you know set a defining tone and tenor and message for what this Congress is going to look like, and it just seems to be more of the same culture war bullshit. Yeah. Okay. Hey, you whined about inflation, and that's the issue that was on everyone's minds uh, in the in the election, and there were a ton of warning signs to Republicans. Hey, they trust Democrats more on this. And you get opportunity. You get an opportunity to do literally anything about it in your first week, and you're whining about yeah, gas stoves. Yeah. Something that isn't happening and connected to the government at all whatsoever. Good luck. Yeah. Well, that's it. I mean, I say, more, I say go for it. Just yeah, go for yeah, it. Just talk about this for the next two fucking years. It really. I just to just to put a button in on this. I mean, the whole gas stove thing. It just it, that kind of thing just discourages me so much. Because guess what? I'm sorry. I know this is like makes people some uncomfortable, but like we do have to kind of change our lifestyles a little bit. We have to sacrifice a little bit. I'm not, I'm not obsessed with like degrowth and I understand that it's, it's troubling to, I think, pass on the responsibility of dealing with climate change to the people that have done the least to actually like create the situation. But we do need to kind of sacrifice. We do need, when it comes to the environment, when it comes to public health and every single one of these incidents, like when there's even one mention of, you know, you might lose the ability to do this, you know, have a gas stove, just the idea of it, uh, have a drive a gas guzzling SUV, you know, in Canada, like they just announced recently that by the 2030s, all new cars are going to be EVs or zero emissions vehicles. And we are, we know that that's not even a, 
that's only a drop in the bucket when it comes to actually like reducing emissions. Um, it's it's almost like a gesture in and of itself, but you still have people losing their minds about that. Come and take away my the, the Trudeau Gestapo is going to come take away my truck because you have all these like Albertans that drive these these massive trucks around their gated communities and never actually fucking use the truck to tow anything or put anything in the back. But it's because they have this like lifestyle. Uh, working class cosplay thing. They spend, you know, a hundred grand on these trucks to pretend like they're carpenters or whatever. Um, but it's just so discouraging, right? Like we do need to sacrifice collectively. We do need to have collective response to these things. And just this culture of like uh, consumerism and individualism that's just been drilled into people's brains for generations really makes me uh, not very confident about our ability as a society to collectively respond to any of these things, whether it's the next pandemic, whether it's the uh, the climate crisis or any other crisis that involves collective sacrifice. It's just, we can't, we cannot do it. Uh, and it's just this, this gas stove bullshit is the latest example of how far behind we are in, in having any kind of social solidarity or, or ability to have collective action on anything. Well, <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to call it off Let's right after on one of my classic, uh, very positive and uh, yep. <laughs> affirming diatribes. <laughs> also, I'll be honest, I really want to get back to this uh, playoff okay, game. Fine. The Niners and the Seahawks are, that game is a lot closer than I thought it was going to be. Okay. So I'm dying to see who wins. You got, and I got money you got on the game. big parlays so. with that? I already hit one, actually. Okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I had McCaffrey to score, Walker to score, McCaffrey to get like 75 yards and Walker to get... 54 yards okay and the closest one it's there's two minutes to go in the third quarter walker has 56 that was the one i was waiting on and then i have another one very similar but uh, a couple other like things factored in and that also requires the 49ers to win so i hit both nice if uh, the niners very hold on. nice everything's already hit all right man love it well enjoy that yeah Excited. Yeah. Thanks for thanks All for right. listening to the episode, everyone. Once again, please subscribe to the podcast at theinsurgents.substack.com or you can go to insurgentspod.com, right? That's the web's the actual website. That's what it is, right? That's right. And be sh- it is. And be sure to check us out on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, we post the link in the description. We've got uh, a ton of great videos on there and some of the comments are really great. Go in Join that comment section. It's very robust. Yeah. help Please help us continue to pivot to video. <laughs> Which you all made possible with your subscriptions. That's right. We were able to upgrade our recording platform because of your subscription. Right. So thank you for everyone who's, who has yeah, subscribed. Thank you, everyone. Uh, we love you. We'll talk to you next time. Uh, Rob and Jordan out. Thank you for listening to The Insurgents. Please remember to subscribe over at theinsurgents.substack.com. Find the podcast on all your favorite podcast apps, and please remember to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's very helpful, and we appreciate it a lot. But please, again, don't mention Ken Klippenstein in the review. He is banned from the show. It's a lifetime ban, so please do not mention him in the review. And we'll be back later this week with more of the content that you know and love. Goodbye.